So I was, I've been wondering as we've gone, gone through the book of, of Jude, if you guys have heard someone preach through the book of Jude before, I was wondering that question kept coming up in my mind this week. Anybody ever heard somebody preach through the book of Jude before? I was wondering because I, I never have. And of course that could simply be a coincidence. The Bible is a huge book and it can take years and years and years to, to uh, process through it, preaching verse by verse which in my view, most of the best preachers or all the best preachers do. That's, that's how they preach through the, through the Bible. As John MacArthur says, you know, it's good to preach verse by verse. That's how the Holy Spirit wrote it. So um, instead of you know, cherry-picking uh, this verse and cherry-picking that verse the, and riding your hobby horses, it's just good. It's, it's a discipline for the preacher, and I think it's also profitable for, for the congregation. Um, so... But I don't think you're going to hear the book of Jude exposited in a lot of places. I mean, there are a number of places where you would never hear this book preached. Um, uh, if you just look at some of the verses here and some of the words, you pick out some of the key words, you realize you're not going to hear this, this book preached in some churches. Verse 4 talks about condemnation. Verse 5 talks about destruction. Verse 6 speaks of judgment. Verse 7 speaks of punishment. Verse 11 speaks of perishing. Verse 13 speaks of eternal darkness. You're not going to hear this in a lot of places anymore. Um, it, it runs counter to the happy church, fun church ambiance that is most popular, at least in the West. I don't know about other places. I know what things are like in America. Um, you know, these, these churches that it's pretty much all about you. And when you come in here, I'm going to tell you it's all about you. And this is how God can make your life better. I mean, this is how the Gospel is preached in many, many places. It's a man-centered approach and um, where truth takes a backseat to entertainment and cheerleading. It takes a backseat to pop psychology and motivational speaking. We've been talking about it the last three or four weeks as we've talked about uh, pseudo-Christianity, and as we've gotten into the, the book of Jude, I've shared with you that passage from Isaiah where the, the prophet says, you know, the, the people say to, to God, don't give us the truth. We want pleasantries and we want illusions. And we also looked at it in the New Testament where Paul wrote to Tim Timothy and he says, you know, a time will come when they will not endure the truth. They won't hear it. They don't want it. They want to have their ears tickled and they prefer myths. But we've been noting through this series that with God, as we said I think last week, God just tells us what it is. God doesn't spin the truth. God just speaks the truth. He's not trying to appeal to your flesh. He's trying to speak into your soul. Amen? This is what God does with His Word. This is what the Spirit of God does with the Word of God. He speaks into the soul of man. He's not going to appeal to your flesh as many churches try to these days. The Holy Spirit's going to be talking to the inner man. You can clearly see this in the Gospels uh, in the life of, of Jesus. Um, <laughs> and I know His disciples would just go, Jesus, you got a big crowd, man. Say something that they'll like. But you know, anytime Jesus got a big crowd, He just turned around and said something hard. You know, as I've said to you many times, Jesus is just not overly concerned in 
superficial followers. He's just not. And, and you, you, when you read the Gospels, you realize that the people loved His miracles, but they hated His words at the end of the day. And I immediately thought of John chapter 6. Some of you are familiar with that, that great text. Uh, Jesus fed the 5,000, probably 15,000 people, counting women and children with five loaves and two fish. And the multitude followed Him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You remember the account? And they, they wanted more teaching, right? That's why they followed Him, right? They wanted more teaching. What was it they wanted? They wanted more bread. They loved God. If God will perform for them, they love this God. If He is indeed God, I love a God who will perform for me. I want a God who performs for me. Health, wealth, prosperity. That's the kind of God I want. They wanted the bread. You, may, you, you guys remember Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. Jesus turned to him and He said, I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. Then He said, no one can come to Me unless the Father draws him. And then He said, unless you eat My flesh and drink My blood, you, you have no life in you. And then He said, no one can come to Me unless it's been granted to him from the fathers. And you remember what the Jews did. They, they grumbled and they argued and they complained at His Word and they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can hear it? And many withdrew from Him. <laughs> he turned to His eleven or his 12 at that time, and he said, do you want to withdraw too? Anybody remember what Peter said? You have the words of life. It's always a remnant that hears. <laughs> it's always a remnant that hears. They'll, you know, the remnant, when they hear God speak, it doesn't matter if it's you know, happy church or a tough message. They hear God. They love God. They respond to God. And this is what we see in, in many of the Gospels. We see this many times. Jesus simply is not interested in superficial followers. He's simply not interested. And if you're a superficial follower, you won't last very long. You can't last very long. You can't keep up with Him. Right? He's a white-hot God. This is why He can't have lukewarm people following Him. They, can't, they simply can't keep up. He's a white-hot, passionate God. Everything He does is passionate. And full-hearted, whole-hearted. You can't keep up with Him if you're half in. If you're half in with Christ, you can't keep up with Him. I mean, that's just, the, that's just the bottom line. Now, you can play religion, you know. We can play Christian religion with Jesus. It takes no faith to play religion. It takes no faith to show up for church. But it takes a lot of faith to go out that door and be a disciple, doesn't it? Those of you who are disciples, you know what I'm talking about. It takes a lot of faith to walk out that door and proclaim the name of Christ in the world. It takes a lot of faith to do that. It doesn't take a lot of faith to simply be a churchgoer. But the crowds loved Him. They loved His miracles, but they, they hated His words. I mean, come on. At the end of this three years of ministry with these jaw-dropping miracles, right? <laughs> At the end, there are 11 guys with him and a handful of believing women. How is that possible? How is that possible? The remnant hears. The remnant hears. The only reason you love God's Word is because God's done a work in your heart. Amen? 
God's done a work in our heart. He's done a work in us. We've been talking some about this throughout this series. The crowds loved Him if He would perform for them, but God doesn't perform for any man. Not you, not me. God does not perform for men. And if you have this mindset that you can rub God just right to get what you want, you, you have no clue what biblical Christianity is about. If you think you can manipulate God to get what you want, now He may indeed give you what you want because He's a gracious God. But it's not because He can be manipulated. I hope that we, we understand that. You know, ICM is a small church for <laughs> many different reasons. Uh, one reason is we preach the text. I mean, if the text, whatever the text says, we preach it. And some people don't like that. I've had many of these conversations. Um, I mean, I'd love to have standing room only every Sunday, but let's just be honest. Uh, there are very few people that are really interested in what God has to say. There, there are some... And praise God for what He does in the lives of, of man. But again, people want to hear, and I'm telling you from 10 years of experience in an international setting, people like to hear about the rabbit foot God, right? He's, he's a rabbit foot. He's my rabbit's foot God. He's my good luck charm God. And if I placate Him or if I perform adequately, He will bless me. I, I, I've heard this many, many, many times. Beloved, this is an impoverished view of what the Bible's talking about. It's not only inaccurate, it's just spiritually impoverished. My seminary professor used to call God, he said, most people believe God's just a big guy. He's just a big, nice guy, right? Well, that's an insult, right? Do you think of God as a big guy that you can manipulate? He's God, and we talked about it last week. He's infinitely above us. A cartoon God will accommodate people's theological sensibilities. And in many, many places, in many, many so-called churches that have the name Christian on them, it is not Jesus. It is not the biblical Jesus that's being worshipped. It's some caricature of Jesus. It's some cartoon Jesus. It's not the real Jesus. Because His Word's not being preached. All the Gospel's not being preached. The hard verses are not being preached. I mean, it's true. You tell me. Most people don't want to hear what God has to say about sin. They don't want to hear what God has to say about repentance, about morality, about purity, about righteousness, about selflessness, about discipleship, about sacrifice, about giving, about serving, about witnessing, about God's sovereignty, about God's election, God's judgment, God's wrath, and eternal hell. Most people simply don't want to hear these things. They want to know how to manipulate God. Tell me how to manipulate God. Jim, I want to know how to manipulate God. What do I have to do to make sure I don't go to hell? Just tell me the bare minimum. Listen, if you're only interested in the bare minimum, you have no clue about biblical Christianity. Because if you've met Christ, it's not about the minimum, it's about the maximum. It's always about the maximum. 
with Jesus Christ. Because you are so in love with Him. It's always about the maximum. What can I do today? I'm not saying we're all perfect. I'm, I'm certainly not. That's not I'm, not. I'm not standing up here holding myself up as an example. I am not perfect. But that's how much we love this great God. That's how much we love this, this Savior. I guess I'm in a unique position. You know, Karen critiques me sometimes. Well, she critiques me a lot. But she loves me. And I know she's doing it for... No, she critiques me some. Not a lot. Um, she says, Jim, you're always on this pseudo-Christianity thing. You're always on this false teacher thing. Well, I'm in, the, I'm in Jude. You have to talk about it at this point. But, you know, she's right because, I mean, I'm in a unique position. I'm the pastor of an international church for 10 years. I see it. I've seen six or 700 people flow through here. And many have this caricature of God in their mind. They have this caricature of Jesus. And they really don't want to hear the hard things. They don't want to hear them. They want you to tell them what they want to hear. I've had this conversation many times. People just leave and they don't come back. They're not interested. Well, if you're going to preach the next verse, I'm not interested. If you'll skip that verse, don't talk to me about that. I'm not interested in that. I mean, these, they don't say it exactly like that, but that's the gist of what is being said. Yeah, pleasantries, illusions, and myths. People love those. Let me give you a quote from John Piper and we'll get into the text. Talking about this caricature of God that's so prevalent in, in the mod, what is called the modern church. He says, the church has, been spending its energy, has not been spending its energy to go deep with the unfathomable God of the Bible. Against the overwhelming weight and seriousness of the Bible, much of the church is choosing to become light shallow and entertainment oriented. I don't know if this is your experience. This has been my experience in America. The popular God of fun church is simply too small and too affable to hold a hurricane in His hand or any other serious problem. The serious Bible student discovers that the Scriptures explode trivial notions about the Almighty God. That's why we do this. <laughs> because every time you come in here, if, you, if, you, you know, if you're entertaining one trivial notion about God, I want to blow it up. I want to be used of God, you know, through the Word of God, by the power of the Spirit of God, to blow any of your trivial notions up about God. Life's too short, beloved, to have trivial notions about your, about your Creator and your Redeemer. Life is too short. Life is too short. To believe these half-truths and innuendos. And so I, I want to say, and I, I hope this is true of you. Probably is or you wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'm not interested in cartoon gods. They are of no value to me, either in this life or the next. Amen? I don't want a cartoon Jesus. I don't want a caricature of Jesus. I want the biblical Jesus. The one who turns to me and he says hard stuff to me. And he says, Jim, get that out of your life. Don't you dare do that, Jim. Come with me, Jim. I know it looks hard. You come with me. That's the kind of Jesus. I mean, that's the, that's the Jesus I worship, right? I'm a doulos guy. Not perfectly. I confess. But I'm going to challenge you again. Are you a doulos Christian? That's the only kind there really are. The doulos Christians. I'm a slave to Christ. I am His slave. I'm not His associate. I'm not His fan. 
I am a slave of this beautiful God. I voluntarily give my life away to this beautiful God. So I'm here to explode trivial notions about God. I'm going to put it on the sign if I can afford it. Right out there, right out there on the glass, I want to say, exploding trivial notions about the Almighty. Yeah? What do you think? Not so much? Okay. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll table that. But I think that's a good, would be a good, uh, yeah, saying for a church. So, the Holy Spirit is condemning these guys in Jude who, who, who teach trivial notions about God. He's warning us about pseudo, the pseudo-clergy, the false teachers, and the counterfeit Gospels. Um, and this is deadly serious. The words I spoke to you earlier, the words that uh, jumped off the page uh, from the book of Jude to me this week, condemnation, destruction, judgment, punishment, perishing, eternal darkness. Why is that important to us? Because that's not only applicable to the false teachers, it's applicable to everyone who follows them. You understand? Do you understand how important it is that you take serious the fact that God gave you this and then He gave you the Spirit of God to understand it? Do you understand that there's on the spectrum of spiritual deception it never ends? I mean, it's an infinite amount of, of spiritual deception out there with the, with the uh, label Christian on it. Do you know you're supposed to know this? And as we've been seeing in the book of Job, you're supposed to know this so well. When you hear a false teacher, you know it. You know that guy. That guy's false. Now you can go to him and try to correct him, but if he won't, if he won't receive correction from the Word of God, you know who he is. You know where he came from. Where did he come from? If it's not ignorance, and sometimes it is, but if it's not ignorance, what is it? He's, come, he, he's a surrogate of Satan. He, he's in the church. He's in the church to wreak havoc, as, as we see in the text tonight. He's a hidden reef in the church to do damage and to take as many to hell as he can. That's what false teachers do. That's why it's so important for us, beloved, to study a book like Jude. Jude, this is not simply pronouncing judgment on the false teacher. Yes, it certainly is. But all those who are caught up under the false teacher. And we're going to see it tonight, actually. It's explicit in the text. We'll see it. It's why virtually every book in the New Testament speaks about false teachers and false doctrine. It was, per, it was a pervasive problem. It still is a pervasive problem. And it is a damning problem. Something we need to be aware of. And I shared with you a week or so ago, I don't remember now, Acts 20, 26-30. This is how I look at preaching. Paul says, Therefore I testify to you that I am innocent of the blood of all men. I want to be innocent of six or seven, the six or seven hundred people that have gone through this church in ten years. I want to be innocent of their blood. I don't want to entertain them. I don't want to be their life coach. I don't want to be their professor, their theological professor. I want to preach the Word of God in such a way that not only are you convicted, I am too. <laughs> you know, I tell you all the time... <laughs> You know, the preacher's always preaching to himself. So, um, Paul says, For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. That's what we do in here. That's what we do in here. God help us. Okay, verse 8. Pick up here. Long introduction. 
Sorry about that. Verse 8 through verse 10, you heard the text read. I won't reread it. I hope you have it open. I hope you're looking at it. In verse 8, Jude is referring back to the men he mentioned in verse 4. The guys who what? These guys who crept in unnoticed. And they turned the grace of Christ into license, and in doing so, they have denied His Lordship. That's back in verse 4. Check it out if you don't believe me. But these unnoticed guys in our day, they're the pastors and the priests and the ministers and the popes and the patriarchs and the Bible school teachers and the seminary professors and the TV evangelists and the faith healers, etc., 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 that do not hold to the truth of the Word of God. Listen, anybody you see on the internet, unless you know them or they're recommended by someone you trust, you beware. There's a high probability that it's a false teacher. And we're going to see in the text tonight three or four or five, well, I think it's four characteristics of a false teacher. You beware, beloved. You're supposed to be a little suspicious anytime you hear someone teaching. You don't, you know, I've talked to you about the naivete that I've witnessed in my 10 years in ministry here in Milan. Many people come through and they say, oh, well, I heard a preacher say it. It must be right. And no. Did God say it in the Bible? And did the preacher relay it to you accurately? I mean, that's, that's really the bottom line issue. So God says these guys, and I'm setting up the text again, God says these guys are, verse 5, they're like the unbelieving Exodus Jews, these guys that have crept in unnoticed. Verse 6, they're like the angels who have abandoned their proper abode. And verse 7, they are of the rebellious Gentiles of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's what that that phrase means there beginning in verse 8. Yet in the same manner these men, in the same manner that the Exodus Jews were judged, the, the angels were judged and the sodomites were judged. So these men will be judged. This is what's being said. And did you notice? They're dreamers. <laughs> these men, these men are dreamers. That's what the King James Version actually calls them, dreamers. Does that sound familiar to you? Um, it's the first hallmark of a false, of a false teacher. They're dreamers. They're always getting a new vision from God. They're always hearing stuff from God that you don't get. Right? So, they're always hearing from God. They're always getting a revelation from God that nobody else is getting. So it kind of sets them apart, kind of makes them seem holy. Well, they're getting a new word from God. Listen, I've told you this many times. Anybody brings something to you that contradicts this, it's not from God. I don't care if he saw an angel. I don't care if you had a conversation with an angel of light. I don't care what happened. If it's contrary to this, it's false. It's demonic. It's satanic. As we were saying a few moments ago. I know. You say, well, Jim, that sounds so hard. I know it sounds hard in this day and age where we're supposed to be politically correct and and love everybody and get along. I don't have a problem with loving everybody, but if somebody's going to tell a lie about God, we're supposed to speak up. It's what Jude is saying to us. Contend earnestly for the faith. That's who you are. That's what you're supposed to be doing in the world. With your friends and your family and your colleagues and your neighbors. So false teachers dream a lot because they're not going to teach from the text so they need to to be able to tell you that they're getting fresh stuff from God because it's certainly not in the Bible. I hear these guys saying, it's not in the Bible. I can't find it in the Bible. Well, it's stuff they got direct from God, 
right? They're dreamers. They are dreamers. You know you're not supposed to fall for this, right? You know you're not supposed to fall for this. Listen to what the Lord says to the Old Testament Jews in Deuteronomy 13. Listen to this. I bet you don't know this text is in the Bible. Maybe you do. God says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and even gives a sign or a wonder that comes true, okay, the sign or wonder comes true, but then tells you something contrary to the Word of God, what were the Old Testament Jews supposed to do? Okay, the sign came true, the wonder came true, but it's contrary to the Word of God. What, was the Jews, what were the Old Testament Jews supposed to do? Reject this prophet. Actually, it's a little stronger. <laughs> they were supposed to kill this prophet. Any man who would speak contrary to the revealed Word of God was an enemy of God. And he was to be removed from the holy nation of Israel. The theocracy. Obviously, that's not true today. The church is not Israel. We don't kill false prophets, but we say what they are. We say what they are. They are false they are false. You say, well, Jim, if, if the sign or wonder, uh, you know, doesn't that authenticate the teacher and his teaching? You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24 about signs and wonders? He said, there will arise among you false Christs and false prophets who will show great signs and wonders so as to meet, mislead, if possible, even the elect. You understand that Satan can counterfeit signs and wonders. You understand this, right? You're supposed to know this. So even if an angel of light appears to you and tells you something contrary to the Bible, you know this is not from God. This is from Satan. I don't care how beautiful the angel is. This is not from God. This is from the adversary. And I'm going to take you back to Jeremiah 23 real quick. I'm going to just give you a few verses from Jeremiah 23. Listen to what God says. He says, verse 1, Woe to the shepherds who destroyed and scatter my sheep. I want you to understand what God says about these guys. Not just simply New Testament, but Old Testament. Verse 11, Both prophet and priest are polluted. Their wickedness is in my house. Don't have some naivete because a guy's got on a cool robe or a cool hat or a cool collar that you can trust him. Maybe you can, but there's a high probability you can't. You always have to take what he says back to this. Back to this, beloved. Verse 14, these false teachers have led my people astray. They have become like uh, they have become to me like Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 16. Those false prophets speak a vision of their own imagination. Verse 25. The, the prophets prophesy falsely, saying, "I had a dream. I had a dream." The false teachers. Verse 27. They they make my people forget my name because of their dreams. Verse 32, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams. Colossians 2.18 says, Let no one keep defrauding you by taking uh, his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. The first characteristic of a false teacher is he's always going to come to you with fresh revelation. He had a dream. He had a vision. Beware. God is telling His people, Beware. The second hallmark here is that they reject authority here in verse 8. Namely, God and His Word. Obviously, they're slick about this. They don't overtly say uh, things that would lead you to believe 
that they were denying the Scripture, but they subtly twisted. It's like I've said to you several times in this series, you'll get truth, truth, half-truth, half-truth, lie. This is how they teach. They, the lie's in there, and they're so skilled at it that sometimes it's difficult to pick up. And I'll just refer you back to, to verse 4 of Jude. In doing this, they deny the authority of God's Word. They deny the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Any man who, doesn't, who, who claims to be a preacher and he stands up here and he tells you stuff that's not in the, in the Scripture, he has rejected the authority of God and he has rejected the Lordship of Jesus. I don't care how many times he uses the name of Jesus, but if he's denying the Word, if he's spinning a yarn on the Word, on, on the word he can you know, proclaim his love for Jesus all he wants, but he has denied the Lordship of Jesus Christ if he's preaching false doctrine. This is exactly what's being said here in the early verses of Jude. And I just want to say to you again, so you say, Jim, well, what do we do with this? What do we do with this book of Jude? You know the word and you contend for it. You contend for it with your Catholic friends. You contend for it with your Orthodox friends. You contend for it in your, with, with your friends who are involved in, in uh, liberal churches who no longer hold to the truth. Protestant churches. Uh, any, any wayward Protestant church or independent church. You contend for the truth with your friends who are involved in churches. Pseudo-churches that do not any longer hold to the Word of God. The third hallmark here of the false teachers that they revile angelic majesties. That's verse 8. What does it mean? The translation's hard here. It literally means to blaspheme glories or dignities. It is a bit cryptic, but we understand from, from Jude's illustration here in verse 9 what he's talking about. And you, you got the story here, right? Um, Michael is, is uh, disputing with, with Satan about the body of Moses. Now, the only reason we know this uh, happened is because it's right here in Jude. This is not revealed to us in the Old Testament. We, didn't, we don't even know this had happened, right? But Michael doesn't, you know, he doesn't condemn Satan. He doesn't curse Satan. He doesn't try to bind Satan. What does Michael do? And what do we learn from Michael in seeing how Michael dealt with Satan? What does, Mi what does Michael do? He simply says what? The Lord rebuke you. Listen, if you think you're having an, uh, uh, an encounter with a demon, do it biblically. Not like these false teachers do. They rail at demons and they rail at Satan as if they have some power over him. You remember that, that great story in Acts where the demon says, hey, I know Jesus Christ and I know Paul, but I don't know who you are. I can't remember the guy's name that, that was trying to cast out the demon or whatever he's trying to do. I'm get, here, here's what I'm saying to you, beloved. This is what, this is what, what Bible-believing Christians do. If you have some kind of demonic encounter, you say the Lord rebuke you. Because when you say the Lord rebuke you, what are you doing? You're calling down the will and the sovereign power of God. The Lord rebuke you. Michael, he was on God's errand. He had, it, it, seemingly, he, he had every right to, to condemn Satan. But Michael didn't. There's a big lesson for us here. I mean, that's why the, the illustration is here. You and I are not called to... You and I are not... Let me just read you a, a great quote from, uh, from John MacArthur. I think you'll like it. 
he says, in relation to this, in relation to this text, he says, this is the supreme illustration of how Christians are to deal with Satan and demons. Believers are not to address them, but rather seek the Lord's intervening power against them. These false teachers, they're, they're always railing at demons. And they're going to bind that demon. Beloved, it's all show. It's all show. If we're going to, if we're going to be biblical, what we'll say if we feel like we're in a, a demonic situation or Satan is, is present, what we'll say is the Lord rebuke you. That's what, that's what Bible-believing Christians say. The Lord rebuke you. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. One of the hallmarks of a false teacher, he rails at, demon, he rails at demons. And he rails at Satan. As if he had some power over them, which he has none. Okay? Fourth... Uh, Fourth hallmark of a false teacher here in the text uh, in, <clears throat> is that they are, let's see, what does it say? They do this from ignorance. I think I'm in verse 10. Yes, these men revile the things which they do not understand. These men and women are ignorant of the Word of God. They're ignorant of the Word of God. They do these things in great presumption. They have no... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They have no leave to do these things that they do. No biblical leave. They are ignorant, spiritually and biblically ignorant of where the lines are. They revile these angelic majesties, even fallen angels, demons, and they have no warrant to do it. If, we, if we're going to believe Jude which is the Word of God. They have no warrant to do it. No biblical warrant. The Lord rebuke you! Don't ever forget it. And if you need it, use it. That's all you need, beloved. That's all you need. That's all you need. Okay. Then we read here in verse 11. Uh, I won't read it to you. You heard the text read. What does God say to these false teachers? and consequently to all who will follow them. What, is, what, is, what does God say? What does the text say? Woe. It doesn't get any worse than woe as far as the Bible is concerned, right? It, just, it doesn't get any worse than woe. It is the ultimate spiritual judgment. It's what we talked about last week. It is eternal condemnation. It carries the connotation of anguish, affliction, misery, and wretchedness. And then he gives us some illustrations here in verse 11. He says these false teachers, um, these pseudo-clergy, they've gone the way of Cain. Now what did Cain do? Some of you may remember from Genesis 4. What did he do? He approached God in a way that was displeasing to God. The inference in Genesis 4 is that obviously Cain knew how he was supposed to worship and approach God, but he didn't do it. He did it his own way. Is that not a perfect metaphor of a false teacher? He doesn't really care what God says. He's going to worship God in his own way. He comes His own way. He does what He wants to do. Right? It doesn't matter what God says. I do what I want to do. This is part of what it means to come uh, or to go in the way of, of Cain. It's one way you can tell an apostate denomination. They just make stuff up. You can't find it in the Bible anywhere. They just make stuff up. Beloved, you'll give an account to God. 
for your stewardship of the Word. How long has some of you been Christians? How well do you know the Word? There's a stewardship issue here, beloved. You can't simply ignore the Word and believe you have any kind of healthy relationship with the living God. You can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. You're supposed to know the Word. I'm supposed to know the Word. You know, these churches that love their mysticism and their religious works and their health, wealth, and prosperity way more than they ever love Christ. The second illustration we see here is they enter into the error of Balaam. What was Balaam's error? Anybody remember? What did he like to do? Oh, another perfect metaphor for the modern false teacher. He liked to do it for the money. He show me the money! I'll give you a prophecy. Show me the money! Right? I'll give you a prophecy. He did it for the money. You know, sometimes people ask me, you say, well, Jim, if these guys don't really believe it, why are they in it? For the money. They're in it for the money. Listen, beloved, I, <laughs> this is what God says. It's what God has said to us. We saw last year in our sermon series in 2 Peter, 2 Peter 2, 2 and 3, regarding false teachers, the Holy Spirit says, in their sensuality, the way of the truth is maligned and in their greed, they exploit you with false words. I've had many guys ask me, well, how do I know this guy's false? I said, well, listen to him, listen to him, listen to him. But if, you, you know, if, if he's so slick, if he's so good, you, you, you really have no hard time hearing. I said, look at his life. It's right there in the 2 Peter text. You'll, there'll be sensuality, and there'll be greed. Which sensuality is really a form of greed. It's right there in the text, 2 Peter. Chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. I've challenged you to do this last year when we were, when we were in 2 Peter and we were talking about false teachers, but uh, go Google these guys. You can't believe how rich they are. Most of them are Americans. So that's a shame on my country. But I told Chinelo, I, I discovered that three or four of these guys are, three or four of the big hitters are Nigerian, which I, I didn't know. These guys live like kings. These men and women live like kings. The di diametrically opposed to how King Jesus lived when he was on the earth. Go read about these guys. It's, a, it's breathtaking. It's jaw-dropping. It's nauseating. It's nauseating. The greed! It's obvious for everyone to see. And it's the best con in the world. Come to God and get money! If you come to God the way I tell you, you'll get money. <laughs> oh, the catch is, you've got to send me yours first. You've got to plant the seed or sow the seed, whatever it is they're saying this week, I don't know. But you've got to send me your money first, then God's going to send you a bunch. It's a con, man. It's a con. We should know better. We should know better. Lastly, this, this last example here is of Korah. 
You guys know the story. He attacked the authority of Moses. I mean, this guy was a cousin of Moses. He was a Levite. But he attacked the authority of Moses. And what happened to Korah and the people who followed Korah? Does anybody remember over in the, over in the Old Testament? We're in, uh, I forgot where it is. Oh, number 16. What happened? What happened? How many people perished in that rebellion? And here's the, here's the deal. It's not just the false teachers that perish. It's those who follow them that perish. 15,000 died in that rebellion. 15,000. The earth opened up and Korah and his leaders were swallowed. They went, as, as, as one commentator said, they went alive into hell. Listen, I... I get criticized because, Jim, you're so hard, you're so hard, you're so hard on false teachers. Listen, I don't think I'm tenth, one-tenth as hard as God. <laughs> I mean, if you read your Bible, you realize God hates these guys. They take millions to hell. Verses 12 and 13, we get these descriptions of of these false teachers. Um, very descriptive. A lot, of, a lot of language here. What does this mean? They're in our love feast. The, the love feast was simply a time that the, the early church got together. They ate a meal together. And they would often have communion together. And the Holy Spirit is saying, these guys are in your love feast, man. They're hidden wreaths in your love feast. They've crept in unnoticed. What is a reef? It's an it's a unseen hazard. God says they're clouds without water. What does that mean? They have, they have nothing to give. There's no life in them. There's only barrenness. There's only dryness. There's only drought. There's only death. They are autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead and uprooted. You know, it's a true picture of spiritual famine. They are uprooted. They are cut off from the living God. They are uprooted. They have nothing to give you. They are wild waves of the sea generating only foam. A lot of sound and fury, but they accomplish nothing. They only leave debris in their wake. They are wandering stars. A picture of, an aimless, uh, of having an aimless course. You know how the, the, the shooting star does. It's, it's, uh, it just flames out and comes to nothing. This is what these guys do. So, in summary, I want to just review and we'll be done. A few hallmarks of a, of a false teacher. The biblical hallmarks of a false teacher. One, they dream. And they have visions and they have revelations that you don't know anything about. You're not getting these, but they're getting these. And you're supposed to trust them. One of the hallmarks of a false teacher. They reject the authority of the Word of God. They preach contrary in a slick way, contrary to the Word of God. If you listen closely sometimes, ultimately you'll always hear it. And by rejecting the authority of the Word of God, they are in fact rejecting the biblical Jesus. Oh, they say they love Jesus. It just doesn't happen to be the biblical Jesus. It's another Jesus. It's a cartoon Jesus. It's a caricature of the biblical Jesus. The third hallmark was they presumptuously command or bind or condemn angelic beings. The fourth hallmark is they are spiritually ignorant. They operate in the flesh, you heard the text read, like unreasoning animals. They are like Cain. They engage in pseudo-worship. 
They are like Balaam. They do it for the money and they will meet Korah's end. They will be judged. And I want to say, I've been saying that these apostate teachers take millions to hell and they do. And you say, well, that's a shame. Yes, but what I want to say to you, it's a willful kind of deception. People enter in behind these false teachers willfully. They do it because they like it, right? They do it because they like the false teaching. They, that's why they do it, beloved. They're, they are culpable. The followers are culpable. They've not studied the Bible. They don't really know what God says. They get deceived. They're following some Pied Piper and He takes them to hell. This is what's being communicated, beloved, in Jude. Is it possible for a true Christian to be deceived by a false teacher and a pseudo-church? Of course. Is it possible for a Christian to be deceived indefinitely? No. Not a true Christian. A born-again Christian who has the Holy Spirit living in him, he, he hears the lie. Even if it's veiled, he hears it. He knows something's not right. And as he scrutinizes what the man says, or the woman these days, he takes it to the text. He discovers he's got a false teacher on his hands and he leaves. He takes his family immediately and he leaves that place. The true believer has an appetite for the truth. And you know what? Pseudo-Christianity is just too small. I, it's not enough for me. Right? It's just not enough for me. Man, it's like we talked about last week. Man, I, I gotta have the I gotta have the awe and the wonder. Amen. I gotta hear what God says. I want to be in the presence of God. I want to hear the word of God. These guys who are talking, you know, out of their own imagination, they don't hold my attention. It's too small. It's too pedestrian. It's too temporal. It's too finite. It's too fleshly. Health, wealth, and prosperity. Man, that doesn't hold my attention five minutes. I want to talk about a God who's going to usher me into eternity where there are pleasures forever at His right hand. That's the kind of God I want to talk about, right? And I want to live a life like Jesus. You know, open-handed, free-hearted, giver of the truth, giver of my resources. You know, I'm not hoarding everything up. I don't have a diamond ring on my finger the size of a quarter. Um, so let me close. I, 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 I didn't know how to close this sermon. And Lord, I think the Lord, I think it's from the Lord. I, I trust that it is. It's uh, Philippians 12, uh, 2, verses 12 and 13. You guys will recognize it. God says, this is my exhortation to you and God's promise to you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for your good pleasure. God exhorts his followers to be zealous in the in pursuit of him and in in your understanding of him to expend energy to know him through his word and then incarnate the word god says work out your salvation with fear and trembling but then he says for it is god who's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure this is a team thing right <laughs> i'm contending for the faith that's what I do, according to Jude. That's what we're commanded to do. Contend for the faith. 
right? Contend for the faith while God is keeping me. Amen? We saw it in verse 1 of Jude. God is keeping me. God is holding me. And I'm contending for the faith. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. I love that. Responsibility, sovereignty. Bam! Right there in two verses. Back to back. I love it. You are responsible to be a steward of the Word of God. You are responsible to do the Word. You are responsible to contend for the faith. And God says, while you're doing all that, I'm going to hold you. I'm going to hold you. So the true Christian, and I'm done, the true Christian, we're always working out what God's working in. Amen? <laughs> Amen? We're always working out what God is working in. And we know what God is working in as we are in the Word, as we feed on the Word. It is our bread, it is our meat, it is our drink. Beloved, if you've been lazy with the Word of God, I'm just going to challenge you tonight to repent. I'm going to challenge you to repent. If you call yourself a Christian and you have no appetite for the Word of God, what I want to say to you is you've got, you've got a huge problem. This is a huge red flag in your life. You may merely be religious. You may merely be a Christian in name only. You may merely be a church member. God's people eat His Word. They know a false teacher when they hear it. And they contend earnestly for the faith. This is the call that we have from God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this text as always. Thank You that... You've told us how to recognize a false teacher. You've given us quite a few hallmarks to consider. Lord, maybe some here tonight need to confess the sin of, of not really being in the Word, of not loving the Word, of not eating the Word, of not being Word-driven, of not really knowing the Word well enough to identify a false teacher and to speak against such a teacher. Lord, we confess our sin. I pray You give us a white-hot appetite for Your truth. I pray that we would know it, we would own it, and we would live it. And we'll give all the praise, glory, and honor to the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, I don't think we'll finish tonight uh, singing, so I'm just going to read uh, something that you'll recognize as we leave. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Have a great week. Go contend for the faith. God bless.